0: Right well hello everyone and welcome to the Billy D's podcast. I am absolutely thrilled that you are here as I always am. If this is your first time here, we are primarily an interview and a commentary based podcast. You can find the Billy D's podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts are found including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, with friends over at Good Pods, all those places. On the studio line with me today, her author name is MK McDaniel. Her name is Kathy. Kathy is on the studio line. Welcome to the program, Kathy. I'm thrilled that you're here.
1: Thanks, Billy. I'm happy to be here.
0: All right. Very good. Kathy is an author, and the book is entitled A Misfit in Hell, to heaven expat. And uh, th- you know, every once in a while, there's a lot of cliches in the, in, in the podcast interview business. People always say, uh, how many times have you heard somebody say we have a very special guest? I try to stay away from those things. And when people say we have a really interesting topic, that's another one you always hear. But I got to tell you, this, this book uh, involves, would you call it, what's the term? An after death, after life experience, a near death experience. What, what, what exactly is the term?
1: Well, it's actually a memoir, which means it's a—it's um, uh, just a picture of my life before, during, and after a uh, distressing near-death experience.
0: Okay. Well, um, I say this is interesting because I would be willing to bet that ever since human beings have been intellectually uh, uh, motivated enough to look up at the stars and say, what's this all about? We've all wondered, what happens afterward? Is there something afterward? I ran across an interesting study um, that showed that, uh, among Christians anyway, if they were given an option between hell and nothing after death, they would have chose hell. Really? Yes. Now, that to me is... The idea of, of being in hell forever is less frightening than just disappearing. Wow! Uh, after after you know that, that and I, I can understand that. I, I think we're all conditioned to enjoy our consciousness, um, enjoy our uh, our uh, the the, the self awareness that we have, uh, and that is very important to us. And the idea that it could just disappear uh, after our life is over is not very very comforting. So um, let's talk about, like you said, it's a memoir. It's kind of like before the experience and then after. We're not going to give away a lot of the details of the book, but to talk about you a little bit, if I just met you at a party um, (laughs) and I asked you, uh, what was your background like? What was your childhood like? Did you have a lot of brothers and sisters? Did you go to church? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, my dad was in the Navy, so we were um, transferred about every two and a half to four years. So I felt like I was the new kid pretty much my whole life, and that's that's kind of tough. I had a sister that was younger and a brother that was younger, and uh, we didn't know anything else. So we went from the uh, Midwest to the East Coast to uh, the Lower East Coast to um, the West Coast, and um, I guess looking back, I'm glad because I'm a person, I'm a Gemini and I get bored. So uh-huh. uh, it was good for me to uh, reinvent myself every time I would show up in a new place. I became a kind of a chameleon. Um, mm-hmm. But it was interesting. I never got bored.
0: Yeah. Were you, were you a family like, uh, was church important? Did you? Uh, how, My what, dad what, what?
1: Uh, was an atheist. Until he was shot down in World War Two and his plane landed upside down in a battlefield and caught fire. There are no atheists in foxholes, as you well know. I've heard that. So uh, he called out. He said, I said, God, if you are out there and if you can save me, uh, me and my family will become Catholics. Well, some of the guys came out from the jungle and cut him out of the plane, drug him into to a paramedic, and somehow he got back to Hawaii. And by God, we all became Catholics. So yeah. that was that was uh, the story that I was I was uh, brought up with. And so we always went to Catholic schools. We always went to church on Sunday. Uh, eventually, my dad was a reader. My mother gave communion. Um, I, I didn't know any other life. And along with that was the understanding and firm belief that there were three places you could go if you died. There was heaven, there was hell, and there was purgatory.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, this nebulous purgatory was like hell, except you got out and you had to remember another thing. The only unforgivable sin was despair. So these are things that I was brought up with, and um, I firmly believed in. Us Catholic kids um, got real good at math because we were always taught about these indulgences, right? So yeah, yeah remember that. You oh, yes. if you if you did something really bad. Okay. You could like rack up 200 days in purgatory real easy. (laughs) But if you said a rosary, that was 300 days credit, as I recall. So you were still ahead by a hundred days. And, and, and so all this kind of was always in the back of my mind that I had to, not that I was a terrible person, but it was seemed like it was pretty easy to go to purgatory and pretty easy to go to hell. So you wanted to keep that bank account up, be a good person.
0: Exactly. And I actually um was raised Catholic as well. I went to uh you know, one of those uh schools and I probably I was a young child in the seventies, so I was probably right at the end of that uh real strict discipline era uh, discipline uh, era where, where you had the 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 nuns had the rulers and the sticks to crack your knuckles. Uh oh, yeah. I was probably right at the end of that. You wouldn't dare do that now. But, Ew. um, no, no, <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't want to do, we wouldn't want to discipline a child, God forbid, oh, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and I understand, I'm, i I understand the, the, the physicality is probably not a good thing. I, and I'm, I'm just making a little joke. But, uh, back then things were, were much more strict and you, you had to keep your, your back up straight. And, you know, uh, when you answered a question, you had to be quick and thorough and you had to pay attention. You couldn't be drifting off and daydreaming and, and all these other things. And, uh, I, I, I know some people have told me in their Catholic background that there was a lot of fire and brimstone. I didn't have that that much in our parish, um, I think the, the, the love of Christ and all those things was stressed a little bit more. Now, maybe that's where I was coming in at the end of an era where a lot of that fire and brimstone was, was gone. Um, but with all that being said, did you have a particular, and some, and, I, and to be honest with you, I, I didn't fear death when I was young because I, didn't, I, I as far as I was concerned, I was never going to die. That's how you feel when you're young. <laughs> but, uh, when you were younger, did you have any, um, Fears about death, or did you contemplate it or not, or a lot? Uh, how, how did you how did you feel about the idea of death?
1: Yeah, I was a rational kid, and so um, I, I upended the the story of Santa Claus pretty early uh, to the despair of my mother. So I was always questioning, and I did have questions, and they didn't really start till I went to college. You know, got mm-hmm. out from under the thumb of the the uh, the whole. Magilla that I was used to. And when one of the nuns said to me, uh, it, well, during class, she was talking about something came up and they said, well, well, Adam and Eve weren't real. That's a metaphor. There was no Garden of Eden. Yeah. Well, you pull that bottom bottom block out from your your pyramid, and things start to teeter. So I went home and told my mother, and she she yelled at my dad. We're taking her out of that heathen school. Yeah. It was run by the nuns, of course, the yeah. sisters of Notre Dame. But um, that was the first time I really thought, well, if that's not true, then what about this and this? Now the thing about death that really first hit me was my first child. She was, she was a lovely little girl that was born and she died two days later. Now I was always a person that, uh, you know, before I had that baby, I did novenas, I did rosaries, I did daily mass. I mean, I did it all to protect that child and then to have her die. And it was, it was a pretty bad death. Um, you know, it kind of made me shake my fist at God and said, where are you? And you know, are yeah. you deaf? I've, I've, I've been, you know, on your side this whole time. And what's up with that? So um, things started to get a little iffy after that. I felt like I was being blackmailed if I if I dropped my religion or something that maybe I wouldn't see her again. So I yeah. it, it was it was not an easy thing.
0: Yeah. And you're not alone in that. Um, I kind of believe with the people that I've known over the years that if you haven't questioned your faith at one time or another, uh, you really haven't done a really good self-examination into your faith or anything else about yourself. Wow. So that was, uh, you know, that's perfectly understandable. So let's kind of lead into what happened to you. What, what was your experience? Was it due to illness or uh, injury? What exactly came about?
1: Um, I was asked to to care for my former best friend and fiance who we had broken up, but uh, he was on the East Coast. I was on the West Coast. Uh, We were still best of friends. I still loved him. And he called me and said, uh, I got to see you. He flew out from the East Coast and said, I've got leukemia. Mm. Um, They can't do anything more for me here. We're going to have to go to Seattle and see about a research hospital. I need two caregivers. Will you go? And I said, yes, I dropped everything and went to Seattle, found us a, an apartment near the hospital. He found another caregiver and, and off we went, we were told, uh, and, uh, you know, the, uh, instructions at the beginning, and this is what we're going to do. And this is the process. And it'll probably, you know, count on two to four months, you know, so he would get better, he would get worse. They'd change the treatment. He'd get better, he'd get worse. They'd change the treatment. This went on for almost nine months. Okay. At the end of that time, I was a wreck. The second caregiver had broken her foot. Now I'm taking care of her. Uh, there was no sleep, there was just trauma, and he died. Mm. You know, 53 years old. Uh, it was like, what? Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Um, I was so run down. There was a terrible flu going around. I caught it Mm. in no time flat. I'm down at one of those dock in the boxes and they, my friend took me in and by the time they got there, there wasn't a pulse. So, uh, they threw me an ambulance, took me to the hospital, put me on oxygen. I woke up you know, later wondering where, where I was, why my family was there. And they said, well, you know, your, your uh, pneumonia went into ARDS, which is acute respiratory distress syndrome. That's lung failure. Mm-hmm. You got a 38% chance of making it. The only thing we can think of, this was 23 years ago, Billy. And so they didn't have, we were the Guinea pigs for, for mm-hmm. the ARDS people. Uh, they didn't know quite what to do. They said, well, just put you in a drug induced coma at least you'll be comfortable and you won't, you won't be knowing what we're doing to you here to try and keep you alive. Sure. So, so we're going to give you, uh, um, white amnesia. That's going to put your brain offline. You won't be able mm-hmm. to remember anything that happens to you while you're in this coma. And then, um, hopefully you'll wake up someday. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, there was no other option. So they traked me and, you know, wired me up and all that. And, uh, it went, you know, I just went out. Now, uh, it wasn't too, I just don't know when it was because I was in that coma for almost three weeks, but I woke up conscious. It was pitch dark. There was no sound. I had no idea how I got there or where I was. And there was nothing really for me to do, but just kind of hang out. I didn't feel Mm. scared or anything. I just thought, now this is weird, you know, but so it, it changed in that, All of a sudden, I started to see this reddish glow like off in the distance, which I assumed was the sun coming up. But as it got lighter, it was swirling fog. It smelled terrible. I heard people screaming and moaning. And I thought, oh, this is not good. So out of the fog came this booming voice that said, do you know where you are? My mind was racing and all I could come up with was hell. And then this booming voice, just this maniacal laugh just echoed everywhere. Totally freaked me out. So I turned and I ran into the darkness. I just had to get away from that thing. And then what happened uh, was a series of segments. Uh, it's taken me 23 years to try and figure out what all this was. And it was so helpful to finally get a hold of the IONS people, you know, 10, 12 years later and hear, you know, hear what other people had experienced. Um, there wasn't too many that had the distressing. There's there's supposed to be something like one in 10 people have them, but they yeah. don't come forward. Uh, And there's two reasons for that. There's shame and there's fear. The first couple of times I said to my family or someone, I think I was in hell. The response I got was, what did you do to have to go to hell? (laughs) You know, or it was just the drugs. It was a dream. You know, you learn to shut up and thank God I was a writer, you know, nothing published, but I always had writing. And so I started yeah. writing this thing out and all the things that happens, the demons that I ran into the situations I ran into, there was a, a bombed out city with these strange creatures. And, um, uh, oh, there was a road that I was on a lot of the time that was just rock. And, and there was just a bare horizon with, with, um, the glow. And I, I yeah. walked and walked and walked frightened that something was going to come out of the dark at me there was a a terrible group of like zombie people that attacked me um it was just unpleasant let me tell you it was it was a terrible thing and I just kept thinking to myself I can't despair I can't despair I don't know where I am I felt alive I never felt dead Mm -hmm. I just felt like um you know, like I wasn't in Kansas anymore. I I didn't know how I got there, but I knew if I just kept going, possibly somehow i would i would managed to get out. Well, that, that didn't happen for a very long time. And finally I was at my wits end. I uh, had gone through a terrible ordeal with these zombie people. And, and then this terrible demon woman, took a bunch of us ladies through this snow for God knows how long it was chest deep. And we got to this awful, oh, it was a a cabin and, and we were made to sit on the floor and wait for customers. And, uh, it was just ugly. And finally Mm -hmm. I said to this demon lady, you know, I've been here for a long time. It's particularly dense and I don't, is it me? And she says, oh, well, you know, Christmas on earth. And that's always the worst day in hell. And that was the first time it dawned on me what was going on. And still a fighter. I started singing a Christmas carol, just to piss her off. And um, the other lady started singing with me and it was away in a manger. And when I got to the part of, uh, you know, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord, and as I got to that next word and never got out of my mouth, she shrieked and jumped at me and I closed my eyes. And when I opened them again, I was infused with this love and joy and bliss. Everything that had happened before was gone. And I was just swimming in this love. And it was incredible. It was you, know, you can't describe it. So as that kind of delight kind of settled out, I looked over, it seemed like I was, I don't know, it was some kind of room was white all over the place. And there was some big table on the side with a huge book that was open about halfway. And I thought, I was looking in that book. And I, I, I remember saying, Oh, no, that's going to be too hard. I want to stay here with you. And, and when I looked up, there was my friend the one who had died the month before, wow. and he's he's grinning. He looks great. He doesn't look like he's got leukemia. He's, he's healthy. And I was so excited. And I thought, oh, he doesn't know he's dead. And he started laughing. He thought that was so funny. And I thought, well, I didn't say that out loud. He must have read my mind. And that must mean... I'm dead too and I was so excited. I was so happy and he came a little closer and he said now Mary Kay uh, you've got too much left to do. And I felt gut punched. I thought, "Oh no, they're throwing me out." I don't believe this. This is terrible and I just started, you know, saying, "No, no, no. I'm no." And and boom, you know, I wake up in the emergency room or the ICU. To another bright light. My family's there. I can't talk. I got that thing in my throat. I can't move. I weigh 86 pounds. I've got no muscle mass left. The doctor I overheard saying, Well, we don't know how brain damaged she is, but she yeah. probably won't be able to drive a car or work. I was 53 and yeah. um, a little, little mad. I was a little angry about then. Yeah. So it did take me about 10 years, almost 12 years, I think, when I finally, through a series of synchronicities, found myself in an IONS meeting. And at first I thought, wait a minute, why is everybody talking about angels and rainbows and bunnies? And nobody had what happened to me, you Mm -hmm. know? And I I, I didn't feel like I belonged there, but one of the people there said, "Uh uh-oh, you had one of those, didn't you? And I said, Yeah. yeah, I did. And he said, tell me about it. So he was one of the leaders and Uh, It was very difficult to, because every time you tell that story, you relive it. And uh, he finally got it out of me and says, wow, we we need to hear your story. I was coerced into talking to the group. They were all fascinated. And uh, over, you know, a series of 10 years now, I was um, compelled to write the book about my experience. Um, I have been... Um, grateful to only meet just a few of the people that have had like experiences uh, in the Ions group. I've started a distressing near-death experience um, sharing group. We've got mm-hmm. several people that can now come there. I'm working on a, a workshop for uh, the Ions conference next fall. Um, I'm totally uh, devoted to helping people understand. What happened? Because here I am 23 years later, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, You know, and people don't understand that. But out of being with God, I knew that God is all loving and all forgiving, period, exclamation point. So why was I there? I believe, Billy, that I expected it. I was born and I was raised in that that with that. Idea stuck in my head that I would go to purgatory when I died. And Mm -hmm. if God didn't make one, then I had to make my own. And I manifested it. And I've heard other people say the same thing uh, just because I believed in it. So the story is God condemns nobody. If you want to go to hell, you just go right ahead. But it's not God that you blame. Uh, We have to, I had to give up a lot of the teachings of my religion. I'm a spiritual person now, and know that. And I'm here to tell people, you don't have to go to hell. Um, It is just, it's all good. Everything Mm -hmm. is good. I believe we plan our lives for the experiences we want to learn, and I don't blame God for things that happen to me anymore. I've picked them, and and it's all going to be okay. We're we're all going to end up in heaven again, and it just. I don't feel like a victim anymore. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. God's picking on me because I plan my life, and it's just a, a much lighter existence. And a, boy, I can't wait to go home again. Oh. I want to, I want to get all this stuff done so I can go home.
0: What's the, the that group? Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about that group. What's that?
1: It's the International Association of Near Death Studies, and coincidentally, they started in Seattle. Uh, 40 years ago. They're all international. We have conferences every year. There's hundreds of people that come from all over the world, uh, all all telling pretty much the same story, you know. Yeah. God is God is all loving and, and all forgiving and it's um it's just gonna be great. It's just us people that have the uh distressing ones that that need um just the guidance and the understanding to let go of that shame and that fear, because it was something that we needed to experience um, to, to know ourselves and our beliefs better, you mm-hmm. know, uh, to not just believe anything somebody tells us. I had to forgive God, you know, for things mm-hmm. that happened to me that I actually planned. And um, <clears throat> it's it's been an interesting road.
0: Yeah, and you tell the story so well. Uh, Just to remind the audience, we're talking to the author M.K. McDaniel. The book is titled Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. Um, How does the book tell your story? Now, you kind of mentioned it's kind of like a memoir. Um, How is the book kind of laid out?
1: It's laid out from uh, starting with my relatives and my grandparents and great-grandparents. I think we're kind of a product of our our genes and our, our uh, um, heredity. And um, I wanted to know more about them. So it's a memoir. I had to change, of course, the names of the people. I didn't want to get sued by my mm-hmm. family. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it started off just kind of, Gently going back to great grandparents and and uh, all the things that made me who I am, and then to get to uh, my childhood and my my family all had a sense of humor, a good sense of humor. So the mm-hmm. book is not heavy; it's um, it just tells. A family story, probably that most people will resonate with. You know, yeah. oh, that was how. them, you know, that was like my aunt Susie, or yeah, my brother was like that. It, it tells a very human story and about uh, my upbringing. And uh, you know, I had two divorces. Uh, I was not, you know i I was just a person, and um, uh, to to have that experience especially when I was trying to help somebody Mm -hmm. and then to be my health was gone. My job was gone. My life was gone. And, and then to come back and, and know eventually that I planned it. I was a brave soul. I -hmm. I planned to do that so that I could come back and save people the trouble of going to hell Mm -hmm. (laughs) by giving them, you know, skip the trip people. It's not necessary. Um, take it off of your uh, agenda and and just know that there's there's a uh, a life review at the end of all of this there is no judgment ever you get to see your life review you get to uh, view it in two different ways. One is uh, just like watching a great movie and you're you're the star and you see every single thing that happened in your life. And uh, then they turn that around and let you experience that as the receiver of your attention and your uh, actions so that you actually get to feel how wonderful it was when you loved somebody. And you could also feel how it felt if you hurt somebody's feelings, if you, if you stole something, you know, the ramifications, what did that, that cause? And, um, it's not so much as a punishment at all. It's just, how did I do? This was my plan for my life. How did I do?
0: Yeah. Very interesting. And, uh, I, I would say to the audience, whether, whether you're a believer or not, someone's personal journey, someone's personal experience to me, always has value because it is part of, a, of our all collective human experience. And I always tell people there's what, like 7.5 billion people on earth. And whether we want to admit it or not, we all have a version of our existence that makes us feel comfortable. So there's 7.5 billion little religions <laughs> out there. And uh, learning how other people have experienced life and taking it in uh, is, for one thing, very important. That's my, my, my first point. The other point is I've also interviewed and talked to a number of hospice nurses, and uh, one of which told me she was an agnostic prior to working in that field. And there seems to be, and here again, it's, I, I know it's not proof of anything, but I do find it very curious that there seems to be a consistency in what happens in those final moments. And it's hard to dismiss. And I wouldn't advise uh, dismissing. And Einstein said, don't dismiss anything. You're setting yourself up for a mistake. Uh, And so I I find it very intriguing. I find it very intriguing. Again, I'm going to keep saying the name of the book, Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. You're listed as the author, M.K. McDaniel. We call you Kathy, but is, is that correct? Is that how you're listed as the author?
1: Yeah, that's the pseudonym. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that's good.
1: Yeah, you have to hide a yeah,
0: little bit, yeah, especially
1: yeah. when your mother's 95 and she's, she still refuses to read the book.
0: Oh, Wow. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, what you, you know, you, you mentioned that it's it's not um, you know a book that gives a lecture or anything like that. It's just no. it, it's just your story. It's what do you story. hope that the reader gets? What, what what when when the reader reads the book, what what do you hope they take away from it?
1: That um, God told me to be loving, kind. Merciful, forgiving, encouraging, grateful, non-judgmental, and useful. That's all we have to do. And if you can't remember all that, just be loving and kind. Uh, the rest of it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> that's a, that's, a, that's an absolutely fantastic message. Uh, misfit in hell to heaven expat by MK McDaniel. Uh now you're on Twitter. Uh you're at MK McDaniel. And then the numeral three, that is you on Twitter. Where else can people find you online and where can they get the book?
1: Uh, the book is at uh, Amazon or anywhere they sell books you can get them. It's probably cheapest on Amazon if you get a Kindle. It's only $7.99, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, and the website is the same, is the name of the book. Uh, we have a dot com on it. And yeah. uh, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and anywhere that I can talk to people.
0: Well, that is fantastic. And I'm very glad that you chose to talk to us today because uh, I really enjoyed this. This was this is the type of thing that gets me going. I, you know, I'm kind of hard to describe. I wouldn't describe myself as a spiritual person. But I am very much intrigued by people's stories when it comes to this. Like I said, the hospice nurse conversations about the reaching up uh, was a very common one. Uh, the other thing she told me was that um, they talk to people that are not there. And it's the misconception is, well, they're delusional, but they're otherwise completely lucid. They 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 know the weather outside. They know the time. They know what they've had for lunch. They know that you're standing there. And you sometimes feel like, why can't I see the person? It's so convincing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's so many things that um, yeah, are very intriguing about this kind of material and I and I'm so glad that you came on to share some of this. And I'll say the name of the book one more time. A misfit <laughs> in Hell to mm-hmm. Heaven Expat. Okay. And the author, MK McDaniel. Thank you so much for being oh, here today. Billy,
1: it's been delightful. Thank you so much for having me on the
0: show. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you for listening at home. Just a little reminder: you can find the Billy D's podcast pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. And uh, you can find me on Twitter as well, at Billy D's. You can tweet me anytime. You just have to be nice. That's what I always tell people. And they don't always listen, <laughs> but I always tell them to be nice. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast, and we will talk to you again next week. and host of the self-titled podcast, The Billy Dees Podcast. We are primarily an interview and a commentary-based podcast featuring authors and creators talking about their craft, advocates for community issues, and myself and an array of co-hosts discussing current events. There's no partisan ranting and raving going on here, just great content. You can find The Billy Dees Podcast on your favorite platform and on Twitter at Billy Dees. Thank you, and I hope you listen in.